Welcome to the Every Nation Taipei podcast. We're here to help you know God, discover your purpose, grow in your relationships, and make a difference in Taipei, Taiwan, and beyond. We hope this message encourages you today. So the series is called "This Is Us," and it's just talking about us as a church. Who are we? Why are we here?、Um, what are we about? And it's hitting some of the the key、um, values or characteristics of us as a church.、Uh, last week, Bertina kicked us off with a, a message on the compassion of Christ, and as a church, that's really what we're founded on: is Jesus and a love for Him and His love for us. Jesus said it this way. He said, "This is my commandment. This is the, the the main thing. What it's all about is to that you love God, and that you love others the way that I've loved you. And so it's really all about Him and His love, His compassion for us. That is the foundation. And today we're doing a a second part of the series. It's called a hunger, and we're going to talk about just having the importance of having hunger,、uh, and the things that we're going to talk about today.、Uh, part of this this series of this is us are really things that will be." Uh, eternally a part of who we are,、uh, both here on earth as a, as the family of God, but also as the family of God throughout eternity. And so today we're talking about hunger and the importance of of hunger. You know, growing up in a family of six kids, five boys,、uh, we were always hungry. There's just you know, you just always ready to eat. Plus, you know, we always would bring friends over. And my mom made a, a rule、uh, early on that nobody helps themselves to the refrigerator. Nobody goes to the closets and gets food for themselves. You wait until mom and dad serve the food. And and this past, I was just back home. Thank you to all the team for just carrying on in in our absence. I was back home helping take care of my mom, who's 95, going to be 96 this this week. And so as we were there, I was with one of her friends, a close one of her best friends and close family friend, kind of like a second mom to to my wife and I. And she was telling us about the early years with my mom and how my mom taught her how to raise her kids and said one of the best things your mom ever taught us was don't let the kids help themselves to the to the refrigerator. She said because otherwise we would have been eaten out of house and home, you know. And so we always just said no, nobody goes in until it's time to eat.、Uh, and so growing up with the five boys like that, you know, just always hungry. There's always、uh, never enough food.、Uh, I remember many times after the meal's over, I'm saying, Mom, is there any leftover rice? And just yeah, just filling my belly with rice with you know. Ketchup or soy sauce or something on it, you know, and that's how I grew up. But there's something about hunger, you know, that that drives us and it compels us. And, and so it's interesting. They had a recent study, actually a few years ago. They did a study with mice. I don't know. They're always extrapolating things from mice to men.、Um, but but anyway, they're they're testing mice to see what is the strongest drive, the strongest appetite, or the the, the strongest motivator in mice. And so they want to compare hunger versus thirst versus companionship versus fear. And so how they did this was they would get hungry mice and and they would make them hungry and thirsty, and then they would have two different choices. They could go to the room with food or the room with water. And invariably, the the mice would always choose food over water. So when they were hungry and thirsty, they choose food over water. So hunger greater driver than thirst. And then they chose companionship, and so mice are generally social animals. They they like to to be together, but they would offer a hungry hungry mouse a room with a, another mouse in it or a room with food, and the the mice would always choose the room with food. So food over companionship, 
And then they, they, they said, well, what about between hunger and fear? And so what they did was they, they, they filled the room with the smell of foxes. Not, not a real fox, so there no, no, no mice were hurt in this. Um, but the smell of foxes, the natural enemy uh, and, and predator of mice versus a room with food. And, so, uh, and, and put food in that room. And, and the mice would then have to decide, do I stay out of the room in fear or I go in because I'm hungry? And the mice would, would all go in and they would, they would risk being eaten by the fox in order to satisfy their hunger. And so they, they, dis, they discovered that the strongest motivator, at least in mice and likely in humans, is, this, is hunger. And we often talk about it in sports, it's, it's common to say, well, they're just more hungry than us. The team that wins, well, they're more, more hungry. And, and it's in, there's a, a famous writer, business writer, Patrick Lencioni, wrote a great book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. If you read that book, great book on, on how teams form. His second book was called uh, the, the, the Ideal Team Member. And, and it was about what makes a great team member. And he said there's three things in his studies. One is that they be humble character he's that's the foundation of a good team member is that they're humble they learn willing to learn willing to be taught willing to follow the second thing he said is hungry and he said this is probably the the the, the most powerful of the three characteristics because you get a hungry person and, and when he meant hungry it didn't mean just a person who wanted to eat or a person you know who hadn't eaten for a long time but but hungry meaning people who wanted to learn wanted to grow wanted to, to advance themselves and the company and so, and then the third was people smart, people who just have emotional intelligence. These three things are the three key things you want to look for in a, in a team member. If you're going to have someone join your team, be part of your leadership, hungry, humble, and people smart. But hungry being the strongest driver of the three. And so hunger plays this important role in our lives. And when we look at the scripture, actually the scripture says the same thing. So Jesus said this, in, in his classic Sermon on the Mount, which really laid out, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. And one of the eight things that he said was a key to blessing. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And he said, this is one of the important aspects of people who consider themselves followers of Christ is that they would have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, for God's righteousness, for who He is. So you look at the importance of hunger, we go back to the, the very beginning of, of, of human history, Genesis, and, and we look at chapter 3, the, the fall of man, because actually the fall of man centers around this drive inside of it, this appetite, this hunger. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree, fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And so in the Garden of Eden, there were these two trees that God put in the center of the garden. One was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because that will just bring you death. We often talk about how it seems strange that, the, that God would say, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because so much of teaching of church is all about good and evil, and how we need to know good and evil, and be able to discern between good and evil, and choose 
good or over evil. In fact, in, in, uh, for me growing up, sometimes that seemed like the totality of Christianity was knowing good and evil and trying to be good and getting punished for doing evil. But God says here, no, actually, that's, you need to avoid eating of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as we unpack this hunger, we'll, we'll begin to understand stand why. But now, Eve, the first woman, she added to God's commandment and said, in fact, you're not even supposed to touch it or you're going to die. Now, God never said don't touch it. But this is kind of the, the, the precursor of what religion looks like. We take what God said and we start adding our own rules to it. And then we start putting all these extra burdens on us. That, no, you can't say this. You can't do that. You can't do this. Things that God never said, but we think are a good idea. And then we start, say, we start to elevate those to the same level of things that, as things that God has said. And, and it's why so often religion has ended up in just shipwreck, wrecked places, and, and wrecked so many lives. Because we don't just follow God, we begin to add our own knowledge of good and evil to what God has said. God's intention was that he would be our source of good and evil. That's the tree of life. Jesus said, my words are life. And it was learning to look into the scripture and say, what does the scripture actually say? And not just adding our own rules to that. So we go on to the next verse, and it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the last says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All of a sudden now, before God had never, had never said, you know, nakedness is a sin. He never said. But now, they, now that their eyes are open to good and evil, they say, wow, this is, this, they start to feel condemnation for the very first time. And they start to feel shame and guilt for the very first time. Because when God comes into our lives, he's here to remove condemnation. He's here to remove guilt and shame through the blood of Jesus. That any time that we mess up in life, when we ask God for forgiveness, He will always forgive us and embrace us. But it's interesting here as, as we, we look at this scripture, the, the verse um, 6, and it talks about the, the appearance of this tree, this, the, the, knowledge of, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and how it tempted Eve. Because this temptation, this first temptation, is very similar to the temptations that you and I all walk through. And the first one is, it says it was good for food. And that really speaks to the appetites of, of our, our physical appetites. Hunger for food. Uh, sexual appetites. These things that come from our physical desires. And so as, that, as she saw that, that fruit, she said, oh, see, it's good for food. It makes me hungry. It makes me want to eat. You know, so good food does that. I was back, being back home in Hawaii. One of the fun things that we're, one of the things we're trying to do is get my mom to eat more food. So we're taking her to all her favorite restaurants and all of our favorite restaurants and, and, and say, okay, mom, let's, let's eat. And, and uh, you just sit down to all this great food, meal after meal after meal. Like no leftovers. We're just going to eat every meal. We're going to go out and, and go to your favorite restaurants. Uh, and so it was just like a, doing a little food tour, you know, through, through our favorite restaurants. And, and when you see that food, you just already start to salivate and you just get hungry, just thinking about it makes me hungry. So looking at this food, it starts to appeal to that hunger inside of her. And then it says a delight to the eyes. And that has to do with our, our thought life and the things that we focus on. 
But the Bible says we're to turn our eyes upon Jesus and to look to Him. But we look to so many other things and so many other things fill our desires that we think about all the time. The things that fill our minds, the things that we meditate on all the time. What do, what do we think about in life? He says it's good for the eyes. It, they capture, what are the things that capture your focus in life? Oftentimes, um, Christians, when I was growing up, uh, they used to tell us as young leaders, they said, gentlemen, you always got to watch out for the three Gs, gold, gals, and glory. You know, those are the things that will distract you, you know. I said, no, I'm strong, you know. But sure enough, these are the things that, that all of us, we, we look for possessions. We want to own stuff. We want to control stuff. Uh, we look for our physical pleasure. Uh, and we look for adulation. We look for popularity. And these are the three things that, that really uh, affect all of us. So there's a good for food, delight to the eyes, and the tree that was desired to make one wise, or, or the pride of life, the Bible calls it. This, the ability to own things, to control things, to be better than the people around you, to have more than they have, to control, to, to, to lift yourself above others, and the pride of life, our possessions, our accomplishments. And so these are the three categories of, uh, of, of temptations, of things that drive us, of, of hungers that the enemy was appealing to in Eve that got her to, to, to stray away from her relationship with God and to substitute for that. And it's the same today. The enemy keeps wanting to try to substitute things and to lessen our hunger for God. And so how do we, how do we, do, how do we overcome that? And in fact, it's interesting to notice that that, that first temptation of Eve was, had to do with eating and, and hunger. And the temptation for Jesus, when Jesus came to earth, Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says as Jesus was about to, to launch his ministry and declare himself as the Messiah, the Son of God, the very first thing that he did was the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And there he fasted for 40 days. And after 40 days, the Bible says he was hungry. Ah, you know, I would be too, you know. But the Bible says that the, the enemy then came and began to tempt and say, hey, look, you say you're the son of God. Turn the stone into bread, into bread. Feed that hunger. Make that hunger, the hunger in your the appetite in your life, more important than obedience to God, than obedience to the Father. And Jesus said, no, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it's interesting here how fasting, you know, you, you would think that Jesus would be weak after 40 days of fasting, but the Bible says not that he was weak, but that he was hungry. In fact, not only was he not weak, he was so strong that when the enemy came and tried to tempt him, he overcame the enemy. And Jesus later told his, his disciples, now, as, when, you, when you get into spiritual warfare against demonic forces, because demons are real, there is good and there is evil. And he says, when you get into com conflict with the demonic realm, sometimes you're going to need more power. And fasting tends to give you more power. And so Jesus, after 40 days of fasting, he defeated the enemy in his temptation where Adam and Eve fell and gave in. Jesus triumphed. In hungry more for God than 
his own physical desires. And so you and I will always face that same kind of temptation. And Christians throughout history have always combated these hungers, these different appetites in, in the same ways. In fact, traditionally, um, when, when we look at um, the, these three areas of, of, of appetite that the enemy uses to tempt us away from God, the first is that physical hunger. And it's interesting that throughout Christian history, the church has always, Christians and followers of God have always fasted. In fact, in the early church, they fasted twice a week was the normal. Twice a week, they would fast, go without food. I don't know, you know, as a church, we fast twice a year. <laughs> so uh, we have a little catching up to do. Um, but they would fast twice a week. And this was true of the Jews before Christ came and the early Christians after Christ came, that they would fast twice a week. I know in my early Christian years, I would fast once a week. And I thought, man, I'm doing great, you know, but then the early Christians, twice a week, they would fast. And I think sometimes in our lives, we lack spiritual discipline, we lack spiritual power in our lives because we don't know how to combat these appetites in our lives. And fasting is one of the key ways that we combat physical appetites in our lives. As you fast, you just find that you have more spiritual discipline and more spiritual power and you have a greater propensity to love God. As a church, we want to be people who hunger and thirst after God. That's the kind of church we want to be. A church with a hunger after God. And so fasting is going to be a regular part of our lives as, as Christians. Just as it has been through all the generations of Christians. And then uh, the, the, the focus, uh, the, the lust of the, the, the eyes and, and this, this physical, what we focus on. Throughout history, Christian history, Christians used to pray twice a day. There was the morning and the evening prayers. Daniel would pray three times a day. And so throughout Christian history, multiple times every day, Christians would set aside time to gather for prayer. Now, as Christians today, we pray over our food sometimes, you know. We gather for prayer once a week. But they used to do it several times every day as a matter of habit at the time of prayer. Why? Because prayer is where we focus on God. Where we turn our eyes upon Jesus. So we either give in to the lust of our, our own desires with our, our eyes, or we turn our eyes towards Jesus. And if we wonder why we have such a struggle with staying passionate for God, it's because we let other things come in and we don't know how to take these steps that the early church knew, that Christians have always practiced in overcoming these different appetites. The third one is that the pride of life, our, all of our accomplishments and all of our possessions and how Christians have throughout history always combated that is that the norm for Jews and the early Christians was that they would just give 10% of their income, what we call the tithe. Nowadays we call this the time for tithing and we sometimes just think tithing just means giving something. But actually tithe means tenth. And so Christian practice throughout, traditionally through, through all of ancient Christianity and, and in Judaism was to give 10% of their income. And that was just the norm. In fact, Jesus said it this way, if you want to be generous, then what you do is over and above that, you give to benevolence and you help the poor and you give to the needy. And that's over and above just the 10% that you just come every, you know, every month or every week and, and just give every Sabbath day and just present to the Lord. 
And so we wonder why we're so captured by desire for things, lust for riches, these different appetites, why there's like a, a, there's a, a huge pandemic of porn, uh, both in, in the world and, and in the church. It's because we don't know how to conquer these things that are so destructive in our lives. Eating, hunger itself. Not so much maybe in, in Taiwan, but I know in, in, in America, you know, there's this, this a pandemic of gluttony, of, of obes obesity. And people are just way overweight. I'm, I'm actually overweight for my size and my age. I'm the fattest in my family. Lord, help me. <laughs> Too much helping to feed my mom. That's what I blame it on. Um, but you know, there, we, we just don't know how to limit ourselves. We don't know how to curb our hungers and our appetites. We don't have the power to do that. And it's because we, we've not developed the right, um, the right, hunger, the, the, the right hungers. And there's this, this power that hunger has in our, in our lives. In fact, when Jesus said to the enemy and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he was actually quoting from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, where, where the Bible says this, the whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord gave to give your father. So what is, what is Moses saying? He's saying, hey, this has to do with you accomplishing the purposes for which you were created. This has to do with, with, with inheriting or taking a hold of all the promises that God has made over your life. And every single one of you, when you were born, God has promises that he intends for your life. Promises for good. Things that God wants to do where, that are really the key to you finding satisfaction and fulfillment in life. And the only way that you can find full fulfillment in life and complete satisfaction is to understand the purpose for which you were made. And God says, the, the things I'm about to tell you, the reasons why I'm telling you this is so that you can live the life that you were intended for and find the kind of satisfaction and the kind of peace and joy that only comes from being right in the center of the purposes for which you are created. And so he goes on to say this. Next verse in verse 2 says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. So this is the children of Israel in, in, in the setting as he's saying these words. They've gone through 40 years in the wilderness. And God is speaking through Moses and saying, you know, there's a reason why you spent all this time in the wilderness. It was to humble you. What is the key to a great team player? It's not humility. Testing you to know what was in your heart. Now that's not God trying to find out what's in our heart, but actually helping us to discover what's in our heart. Because God already knows our heart better than we know our own hearts. But we are, the heart is so deceptive, we are so easily fooled by our own hearts, by our own desires. We think we like one thing, we end up we like something else. Why is it that we, we make all these New Year's resolutions of the things we think we want, but in life we can't walk them out? Because our hearts are deceitful. And what we think we want is not really what we actually desire. And so God says, sometimes I lead you into wilderness places to start to show you what's really in your heart. And so we all will suffer difficult times in life, dry times in our life. Times when we have to make difficult decisions and there'll be sacrifice and, and moments of deprivation, seasons of deprivation in our lives in order for us to begin to discover what's really in our heart because it's only when we really get real with ourselves 
that we can actually become to be changed to be real with God. And many of us, we don't like to face the reality of our own hearts. And we'll do everything we can to cover that up. And so God leads us into wilderness places. He says, whether you would keep his commandments or not, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. So God fed them as they're going through the wilderness with this thing called manna. And that the word manna actually means, what is it? You know, what is this thing? You know, so they're eating this. What is it? I don't know what it is, but God said, it's all we got. We're out here in the wilderness and there's nothing else to eat but the stuff that shows up on the ground that God gave us. And at first it was like sweet and they liked it. And then it became uh, just a drag eating the same thing every day. And he said, he did that, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that, li- that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, he wanted to teach them to hunger after what God was saying. And that's why God takes us through times of wilderness. And we can either choose to fill that, that hunger or to, to meet our needs in the wilderness times by pursuing our own stuff. Or we can turn to God. In fact, Psalm 107 says, He turns rivers into deserts, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water. So the first two verses there says, God will actually turn lush places, well-watered places into wildernesses in order to turn our hearts back to Him. When our hearts have gone astray, God will turn our lives upside down and dry us out in order to turn us back to Him. Verse 35, He turns a desert into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water. And there He lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. What is God looking for? He's looking for hungry people. Those are the ones He wants to establish and place into cities because those that keep hungering after God, hungering after righteousness, they're the ones that will be filled. And it's only when we're filled with God that we can then give out to others. And so God is looking for people who are always hungry for more. That no matter how much of God they get, they always want more and that's the beautiful thing about god as you taste and see that god is good it starts to develop a hunger in your heart for more but you know we can fill that with other things and so we need to cultivate our palate to to satisfy our hunger with the right things because there's a lot of things that we can we can partake of and we can eat in order to try to fill our hunger and some of it's just going to kill you. There's a story of, of uh, the, the, in, in Oregon, the, 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 um, the wildlife conservation group there, um, or, um, part of the government, they found a herd of deer that were trapped in the wilderness, trapped in a, in a valley without any food. And so what they did was they, they orchestrated amongst farms, they got all these bells of hay, and they started dumping it into the, into the valley. And, and then they returned and found all the deer dead. And they had eaten the hay, but their stomachs could not process that kind of hay. And so they died of starvation with bellies full. And many of us, we live life the same way. We eat of stuff that, that don't nourish our soul. And so although our lives are full, our spirits die. Because we're not feeding our spirits. So you have to cultivate your palate. Gen, uh, next scripture, Galatians chapter 5. Verses 16, I'll read through this. It says, so I say then, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants you to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Next verse. 
And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions and divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as have, have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also... Uh, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we hungry and thirsty? What are we filling our lives with? And how we can tell is what it's producing. If we're living a life where there's joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and goodness and kindness, then we can know we're, we're partaking of the things that the Spirit wants for us. And we're always having envy and, and division and destruction and, and, and going after our, our own fleshly lust. Then we know that we're partaking of things of the wrong spirit. And we're developing the wrong appetites in our lives. So how do we develop the right appetites? Three quick points here. One, embrace God's love. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. So that's the first one, embrace God's love. You have to experience the love of Christ because knowing it goes beyond what we can even it's, it's greater than we could ever understand. But in our lives, once you experience the love of Christ, it changes everything. Once you have a confrontation and experience with Christ, our lives are changed. So I want to encourage us as a church, let's pray that, that we wouldn't just have a head knowledge of who God is and an intellectual understanding of Christianity, but that God, we want to experience you. We want to experience the love of Christ. Because then you'll make complete, be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You want to learn to, to live the Christian life with power and completeness. It takes an encounter with Jesus. I love, I, we love looking back at how Saul, he had so much knowledge of the word and all the things he should do. And it took him to all the wrong places of division and, and, and fight and, and dissension and envy. But once he had an encounter with Christ, it radically transformed who he was and how he walked out the word of God in his life. And so I want us to be a church that has an encounter with Christ that radically transforms us and that starts with the hunger developed as we learn to love and embrace God's love. And then reading our Bibles like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk or the, the milk of the word of God so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. And so we, we try to make it easy. We, we have a daily reading. If you go to our website, you can, you can find the daily readings that we're going through as, as a church. And you know, it takes like 15 minutes or less 
to read through the daily reading. And you can always comment if you'd like on there and say something if God speaks something to you or read what, what God's spoken to other people. Uh, if that's too much for you, at the, at the same app, the YouVersion app, they have just a verse of the day. You can read one verse. Uh, and that one verse actually, uh, if you go to that app, it has a, a commentary on that. Someone will come every 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 day and just give commentary about that scripture. And so if you're one who just, you're, you're maybe new to, to Christianity and new to reading the word, that's a great way to get familiar with it. Have someone else kind of who knows Christ a little more unpack it for you. And, and, and so that, that's just a way of getting into the word. But every day, I want to encourage you every day, like how babies just several times a day, they're crying for milk. Cry out for nourishment. Develop a hunger. Start reading the word and ask God to give you. And if you don't have a hunger, just ask God, God, make me more hungry for you. Make me more hungry for your word. And then just begin to read. And then join a connect group. I love that we have our connect table back there where you can join up. Because this Christian life is meant to be lived in community. And if you're not a part of a connect group, you're missing out on one of the basics of developing a hunger for God. I want to go head on back to that connect table and, and, and join a connect group. Get into a community of folks who, who have a hunger after God and who will help you to stir that hunger and that passion. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. All of us by ourselves, we're just stones. And, and if we don't get put into the temple, we become a rolling stone that just can't get no satisfaction. Anyway, that's a bad pun. Where were we on the scripture? Here we go. Let's go back to the word. What's more, you are his holy priests, plural. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We do this together. We're meant to live in community. The early church would daily join together in the temple because they still thought, well, that's where God is, so we got to go to the temple to meet with God. But after the temple was destroyed, Peter comes in and he says, okay, it's not about going to the physical temple. You are the temple of God. You gather together. And you create a place for God's presence to be. You don't have to come to a physical building. And that's why it's not just a Sunday. They would do that daily. And so we may not do it daily, but we encourage you at least once a week, get together with a group of folks in a small group. We always say Sunday and connect group. That's just the, the, that's just the foundational for, for Christian living, to developing that hunger for God. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The world is passing away along with its desires, which I, I'm so thankful for. Because those desires are strong. I don't know about you, but those worldly strong desires are really strong in my life. I battle with them. I want what other people have. I like nice stuff. I like good food. Um, you know, Anthony Bourdain was, was my hero. I wanted to grow up to be just like him. Travel the world, go to nice places, eat great food. Um, but you know, it doesn't satisfy, as he found out. And you and I, let's not wait to the end of our lives and find out that we've pursued the wrong hungers. And I'm so thankful that the desires of this world are passing away. But we can desire the things that last forever, begin to shift our appetite, change our appetite for the things that really matter, for the things that last, for the things that build a solid life. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so those are pretty strong desires. 
But as we develop and, and, and cultivate an appetite and a hunger for God, a hunger for his word, and here's how the hunger for God works. The more that you taste, the more that you desire. So the more that you spend time in prayer, the more that you'll desire to spend time in prayer. The more that you read the word and, and it begins to speak to you, the more that you'll want to get into the word. The more that you begin to fellowship and, and find the sweetness of fellowship with other believers, the more that you're going to want that, that fellowship. But you choose which appetites you're going to develop in your life. Because you can't have both. You have to choose one or the other. All I can say is the desires and appetites of this world will pass away. And sadly, those who, that's what they desire, that'll also pass away. But if we desire God and, and the things that he has for us, that's what will last forever. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 3, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he, he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. In the end, what Jesus said is, my words are spirit and their life. And as we get into the word of God and we allow the spirit of God to speak to us through his word, we start to develop a hunger for more of God and it brings life to us. And so I want to encourage us as a church, let's be a people who hunger and thirst after God. You know, that's the kind of church we're, we want to build. That's the kind of church I grew up in. I, I just was remembering back to my early days when I, when I first came to Christ and we were a church of maybe 30 or 40 people. And we would just meet Every night of the week, we would come together. Prayer, Bible study. We have revival training school. We go through all the Old Testament and all the New Testament. And here I'm, as a, I'm a, a little elementary school and I'm, I'm trying to study the, the word of God. King James we used back then with all the big words, you know. And I would always get C's and D's on my test, but I was just, you know, I'm going to just get the word in me. Wednesday nights was what we call body ministry time and people would just share. Everybody could come and share what God had spoken to them. And that's what our connect groups are, body ministry time where everybody can come and share the things that God has spoken to them and how are they applying it in their lives. And friends, this is, this is, this is the church of people who have hunger for God. And God would just rat, began to just radically transform lives. And I can remember just people starting to just come in droves to the church not because the church was, you know, had great music. I mean, we had really hokey kind of music. I just, I remember, you know, talking to some of my friends and like, okay, we're into the hippie music, but you guys are into music from back in the 40s you know, and the 30s. And nobody listens to this music anymore. And we're in church, you know, playing our, our songs. And it was in a horrible place in town, in an old building that was just run down, holes in the carpet. But God began to meet us there. And it was that meeting with God that brought people. And I can remember when my dad first came to church and said, oh, it's kind of weird. You guys go to church every night, you know, and people staying all night at church. And I got to go see what this weird thing is, you know. So he came to church and then he saw people that he knew from work, people that he knew from the city. 
just with a passion for God. And I said, oh, these are like normal people, but they love God. And let's be a people who just have a passionate love for God. So would you stand with me as we close? I'm just going to say a simple prayer. I invite you to just join with me in this prayer. It's just going to be a prayer of just saying, Jesus, we, we want a face-to-face encounter with you. We want to experience your love like Paul did and like he commanded us to so that our lives would be radically transformed. So dear Lord Jesus, we are, we're so thankful that you came to this earth and that you overcame the hungers uh, and the appetites of this life in order to pursue a hunger after God, a hunger after the Father. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us of, of, of all the sin in our lives and the things that we allow to distract us and, and pull us away from you. And Father, we pray that, that Lord, you would come and, and, and enter our lives, that we might experience your love in the way that Paul talks about. God, may we be a church that experiences your love together, that we might be radically transformed by you, not by a form of religion or, 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 or intellectual knowledge, but God, by a, an experience of your love. And so we invite you, Jesus, to come in. Forgive us of our sins. Fill our hearts with your love. Come and be the Lord of our lives, that you might be our one and, and, and all-encompassing hunger. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray this message spoke to you and built your faith. For more messages like this, visit our website at everynationtaipei.com. You can also send a prayer request and reach out to us anytime. God bless you. Till next time.